Father, we thank you for all the ways that you sustain us and guide us and direct us. And uh, we thank you for your mercy and your grace. And today we, we especially lift up Jimmy to you uh, with his health issues. We pray that you'll give him the help that he needs uh, in all the way that he needs it. Pray for Sheila as well as um, she's caring for him and taking care of, uh, taking care of him. Uh, we lift up Kenan to you as well. Uh, good report that he's back home but still has a long way to go with healing and restoration. So we, we pray that you'd work in that in a powerful way as well. And Father, as we get into your word today, give us wisdom and insight into what you have given to us freely uh, so that we can know the truth and so that we can know uh, you in a deep personal way, uh, the plans and purposes that you have for us. And we ask all this for Jesus' great name's sake. Amen. Today, y'all, we're in, we're over in chapter 11, but I want to begin with a statement that Jesus made a little bit earlier uh, in chapter 7 when, um, when the disciples of John uh, were sent to Jesus by John. John's in prison and John wants to know from Jesus, are you the one who was to come or should we look for another? And so in, in Luke 7, 22 and 23, Jesus sends this report back to John. He said to them, Listen, go tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me, or blessed is the one who doesn't stumble over me. Now the reason I bring this up, that that statement, you know, this is, that's one of those summary statements in Luke that we've kind of been following through. And as I said, you know, Luke will give us a, a kind of a big idea in, in seed form. And then over the next several chapters after that, he'll kind of unwind that and weave it together with different ideas. And so uh, in chapter 11, we are dealing with, we're dealing with two big issues here. Uh, and at, at the core of those issues are... Uh, the people who have rejected Jesus, they've seen his works, they hear what he's doing, and they're stumbling over him, right? They're taking offense at him. And it's particularly going to be the scribes and the Pharisees. So we, we see that spelled out in chapters uh, 11 and 12, where we're going to pick up today. Uh, and even as, as we begin that, uh, Jesus is going to give this little section where we left off last week in 1133, talking about the light um, that's within us and how it gets in us. So let's start right there. Let's start in Luke eleven thirty three, and we'll, we'll tie that together with some of these other things here. Um, Jesus, at this point, he had, um, he had taught on the, the disciples' prayer, first part of chapter 11, and then he talked on the significance of prayer. And then the really, uh, the major section that we're in now started in eleven fourteen, where as G- Jesus is casting out demons, uh, the people have accused him of casting out demons by the power of the devil, basically. And so he goes into a, a fairly long discussion of, wait a minute, that doesn't make any kind of sense. Um, I'm not. And, and in fact, if I'm casting out demons by the finger of God, then that means the kingdom of God has come upon you. And that's going to be important for what we're going to get into today. Um, and then he goes into... Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, a short passage about, you know, this is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign is going to be given to it. And so as we get into this next section, Jesus is going to talk a lot about uh, being watchful. And, and, and in this section, he's really going to, behind everything he talks about, is this sense of both his, uh, his appearing, whatever that's going to mean, and also kind of the judgment that's going to come at the end. That's going to be in the background of a lot of things that we're going to read here, and you're going to see that as we go through. But even before he gets into that, 1133 through 36, this is one of those weird little passages that you think, why did Luke put this right here? And I'm not sure that I've plumbed it all out fully, uh, but, but it is connected with some things that are going to come after it. So Luke 1133 he says, uh, Jesus is speaking, he says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. 
If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. That This one section comes in between uh, them, the Jewish people accusing Jesus of casting out uh, demons. Why can't I get that word? Demons by the power of the devil. And then also Jesus is going to really tie into the scribes and the Pharisees in just a little bit. In fact, in the very next passage, that's what he's going to do. And so here, the, the light, I think what he's saying basically in that is, you know, Jesus comes as the light. Everything that he's been teaching on, it, it's the light of the word of God. Uh, his preaching reveals God's will for him. The miracles and the works that he's been doing give evidence, right, that he is who he claims to be. And so as, as he said to John, listen, go, listen, John, listen to what your disciples have both seen and heard, right? You got to pay attention to this. And then he gives them evidence that, that everybody could witness the, the lame, right, can walk, the blind receive their sight, you know, uh, the different things. So what Jesus is saying here is, uh, listen, everything I'm doing is plain, right? This is, this is out in the open. We're not having some secret Bible gathering you know behind closed doors what i'm doing is out here it's it, you know it's like somebody's got a lamp you don't go hide the lamp down in the cellar you set it up for everybody to see everything i'm doing y'all all can see so be very careful right that as you look at it <laughs> you respond to it in the right way you want, you want to make sure that you have eyes to be able to see the reality of the kingdom here and i think that's what he's getting at uh and 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 one of the um one of the, the parallels that happens as we go through Luke is you, you have the people who are physically blind that are healed by Jesus, right, and gain their physical sight. And then you've got the scribes and the Pharisees that are spiritually blind and they don't even re- realize they're spiritually blind. And that's what he's about to get into in this very next, uh, very next set of verses here. So I, I think that little section is a bridge into Jesus really tying into the Pharisees and the scribes or the lawyers, as Luke calls them here, uh, to let them have it. So let's, let's go ahead and get into that 11, 1137. Uh, it says, now, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so he went in and reclined at table. And the Pharisee was astonished to see that he, Jesus, did not first wash before dinner. Verse 39, and so the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Um, Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give his alms those things that are within and behold, everything will be clean for you. Uh, And then he goes on to, you know, woe to you Pharisees for you tithe and uh, the mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Those you, these things you've ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you for you're like an unmarked grave and people walk over them without knowing it. Uh, that one statement Jesus is going to illustrate with parables in the coming chapters. Uh, in one way or another, what it means to be an unmarked grave. What does it mean? Uh, that you want the best seats at, at the tables, right? No, he's really going to lay that out. And I, I love this next statement. Uh, 45, one of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. <laughs> because the, uh, you know, the lawyers, the scribes, they were kind of the, you know, they were in the upper echelon among the Pharisees. So if it applied to the Pharisees, it also applies to the scribes, the lawyers as well. And then Jesus gives them a a lengthy lashing as well. He says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. I love that. You are building the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. Verse 48, So you are witnesses, and you can... Look at that. You are witnesses. What are witnesses? They're people who see, right? They're people who see and then give witness, give testimony to what's going on. So are these the people whose eyes are full of light? (laughs) Are these the people that are allowing the darkness in, right? You are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed the prophets and you build their tombs. 
Verse 49, therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have been taken, you have taken away the kingdom of knowledge, uh, the key of knowledge, yet you did not enter yourselves and you have hindered those who were entering. And then the conclusion. And he went away from there and the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and provoke him to speak about many things, laying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. Oh gosh, really? They haven't learned their lesson yet, right? Yeah. Uh, don't pick a fight with him. You're just going to get in trouble, right? Uh, but here Jesus really lays, he lays into these religious leaders. And, and again, you know, we're so used to reading the gospels and the Pharisees and the scribes. Really, you know, Jesus really ties into them. But, you know, in the first century, these were the good guys. These were the guys who were writing the Bible studies and the commentaries. These are the guys that had gone to school and everybody thought they had it figured out. You know, these, these, these were the guys that everybody was sure they're preparing Israel for the coming of the kingdom. And yet what happens is when Jesus shows up, they reject him. Right? They, they can't see who he really is. Uh, and so here, the, uh, it also introduces this idea that we've, that we've touched on a couple of times. Just earlier in 1129, uh, Jesus says, now when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation, right? It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given of it. Uh, and then here again, he talks about that uh, all, of the, um, all of the wickedness from Abel to Zechariah, um, and what Jesus is meaning by that is that's, you know, from Abel, uh, the very early chapters of Genesis, right? Cain and Abel, the first human beings born on planet Earth. Uh, Cain slays Abel. And then Zechariah uh, in Jewish tradition was one of the last of the Old Testament prophets who was killed, uh, slain, as Jesus says here in between the altar and the sanctuary. So what he's saying is that all of the treachery that Israel has done from Abel to the end is going to be held against this generation. And, and part of the reason for that, we're, we're going to get into that here in just a second in chapter 12. Jesus is going to talk about the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And I think that the context of this is what's, and we, we talked about this earlier, what's happening with Jesus' earthly ministry, nothing had ever happened like it before. And really nothing is going to happen like it again until the end days when the Lord sends the final prophets and whatnot that, that come uh, but with Jesus coming, Jesus is the Son of God. He is the prophet like Moses that was prophesied. You know, he is the fulfillment of all the promises to Abraham and to David. And here he's preaching the word of God, guiding them in the truth. And all of his miracles and his works, you know, confirm beyond a doubt that he is who he claims to be. And yet the people as a whole are rejecting him, right? You're not the one. Uh, John has had his trouble. <laughs> John has had his doubt. His disciples, we're going to find out. They're not even sure yet, right? They're just hanging on by the skin of their teeth, so to speak. And so as, as the nation rejects him, Jesus really turns up the heat to say, <clears throat> listen, y'all are in a privileged place in history. This generation that's seeing all this, that it's all coming down to y'all. And by you rejecting me, everything's going to be settled on your account, right? Because you're, you're the, for me to be in your midst... What the whole Old Testament was looking for and you reject me, that's the, that's the worst sin you can possibly commit. And the Lord is not going to let that go, right? That's tough stuff. And so he's going to amplify that as we go forward here into chapter 12. But he lights into the scribes and the Pharisees right here and really lets them know where they are. And, and, and he's going to say a summary statement about that. If you look over, um, well, let me wait and I'll, I'll say that. Anybody questions or comments on that? Before we get into chapter 12. All right, everybody tracking along okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah Manny. Sorry, I didn't see. Yeah, that's literally, literally, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, uh, the, the, the only problem is it doesn't work in Hebrew, right? Because uh, Abel in Hebrew is, is Hevel. All right? It's uh, got an H. But in English, perfect, right? Yeah, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, 
Jesus, Jesus said it that way because he knew one day there was going to be English and it would work in English, right? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, literally, literally, A to Z. Yeah, y- y'all are going to be responsible for all that. Uh, anybody else, any questions or, or comments on that? All right, uh, chapter 12. Uh, it it kind of continues on with the same thing. Now, I, I want y'all to do something. Uh, in your Bibles, if you, and this will only work if you've got a red letter Bible, red letter edition. But if you start in chapter 12, just flip through the next several pages of your Bible and take note of how much of it is read. Right uh, here is, you know, here's 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 chapter 12 in my Bible. It's almost completely read, you know, and then you get over and turn over a couple more pages. Next page, almost completely read. Turn over the next page, almost completely read. Right. Uh, turn over 16, 17. It's all read. Right? So, uh, so just noticing things like that. Right. This is uh, this is the middle section of Luke that. We talked about beginning in chapter 9, that's called the journey narrative, right? He's going from the north down to Jerusalem where he's going to be betrayed and crucified and resurrected. And this, uh, this journey, as I said in your outline there, Jesus is teaching the way on the way to Jerusalem. And so this is where Luke really condenses so much of Jesus' teaching on discipleship and the cost of discipleship and, and the hazards of, re- of rejecting him. And not following him. So, so as I was as I was reading through all this again, it it really hit me, just visually. If you look at that, this is Luke is cramming all of Jesus' words in here, and and it's even if you go back a couple of chapters, you can see the contrast. It's kind of like half and half, and um, so forth and so on. But then, man, when we get here, it really takes off. So, uh, so chapter twelve. By the way, this is in your notes on page twenty four. Um, down at the bottom, we're in uh, heading three, four. Jesus teaches on keeping the kingdom in focus. So uh, a lot of this is going to be some of the warning passages that uh, come up as he's teaching about discipleship and the implications of it. So twelve one it says, In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together that they were trampling one another, he began to say to his disciples first, uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There it is. Everything he had just talked about with the Pharisees, their problem is they're hypocrites. They teach one thing, but they act in a completely other way, right? So beware of that, because when that thing starts to happen, boy, it just seeps through everything else. Think about how many people we've had in the last 10 years who were people of note that... Um, Turned out to be utter disappointments. Christians I'm talking about. Pastors and leaders and right. You find out things are going on. So no hypocrisy there. Right. We, Jesus warns them about it. Beware of that. And this is why <laughs> nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Woo! Think about that for a minute, right? Lord, have mercy. Oh, Lord. Now, my wife knows some things I've said in the private rooms and when I'm out in the shop. And, and when I do it, I know full well. Oh, Lord. I'm going to have to talk to the Lord about that one day, right? But this is, um, right? Jesus is saying, listen, you can't hide anything, right? There's nothing hidden here. And so, again, this, this is where he's starting to hinge into, uh, in the background of all this, this, you know, the, the sense of the day of judgment that's going to come, that there's a day coming when everything's going to be revealed. And these Pharisees that have been hypocritical, you know, doing the minor things, but neglecting the more weighty things, all that's going to be revealed ultimately. And he wants his disciples to know, uh, you got to beware. And then, and then he ties that into the very next thing. Verse four, he says, I tell you, my friends, uh, I, I love that. Notice Jesus calls them friends here. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body. And after that, have nothing more that they can do. But I warn you whom you better fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God? Uh, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, you are more value than many sparrows. I love how he puts those two things together, right? You better fear God above all others. 
Because he's the one that can not only kill you, but also send you to hell. People that can kill you, that's all they can do, right? But fear the one who can uh, uh, send you to Gehenna is the word that Jesus uses there. Y'all probably are aware of that. Gehenna uh, was a... um, was a place that you could see in the first century. It was, it was uh, the kind of the waste heap that was outside of Jerusalem that used to be the Valley of Hinnom, uh, which is the valley, uh, if you know Israeli history, Jewish history, that was the valley where they sacrificed their children to the fire god Molech uh, at the time of their great you know, treachery and whatnot. And so that, that valley uh, was considered to be so defiled because of the idolatry that had taken place there, they had turned it into a trash heap. And, uh, you know, you, you, can go, you can go look up Gehenna and uh, read it. There's, there's some debate over whether or not that was the actual place or if it was somewhere else and whatnot. But anyway, Jesus is using that because his, his, his image of hell, and we'll see this a little bit later, uh, Gehenna, it's, it's a place where, as he says, the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. So it's this, this place of you know, utter destruction and, and, and suffering, uh, as we're going to see as we go. So Jesus gives them a warning. You, you should be afraid of that. Um, and, you know, contrary to popular teaching nowadays, Jesus is very specific that not all people are going to make it into the kingdom. Some people are going to go into judgment and condemnation. And we'll, we'll see him bring that up a little bit later. Here he's just warning people about it, he's, especially his disciples. And then finally, it, it, it comes to this. He says, listen, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men uh, will be denied before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the one who is blasphemed against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now this is, uh, Luke is including, this section comes probably from something a little bit later, uh, chronologically from Jesus' teaching, because in the other Gospels, this is taken from a section where, you know, Jesus is preparing the disciples for, I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to ascend. I'm leaving my ministry with you. And if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. So you need to be ready for that. But don't worry about it. You know, they're going to put you on trial. and You're going to go before people. But don't worry about what you're going to say. Holy Spirit is going to give you what you need. Uh, Notice um, this is another time Jesus has mentioned the Holy Spirit earlier. Chapter 11, last time we were together. At the end of uh, his discussion of prayer, 11.13, he says, If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now we find out that uh, you know, the Father wants to give the Holy Spirit, but also the Holy Spirit is going to be present with the disciples to teach them uh, what to say as they're going. And so right, this is just kind of another little thread. Luke is throwing this out to get us ready for what we're going to get to really in the book of Acts. We're not going to get there until Acts 1 when the Holy Spirit is given to the disciples to empower them to carry on with Jesus' ministry. But we're going to have references to him all throughout this that kind of is a forecast of what's going to happen. Now, uh, just very quickly here, and then I'll see if you got any questions. Uh, everybody always asks about the blasphemy uh, against the Holy Spirit here. What does that mean? Uh, one of the questions I often get asked, you know, people will say, I- I'm worried that I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's not going to be forgiven, Jesus says. Uh, and my answer to him usually is, listen, if you're worried about it, you ain't done it yet. Because <laughs> uh, people is blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. They're not worried about it. They don't even know they've done it, probably, you know. And so what, what, what this means is... Uh, Blasphemy, in the larger biblical context, and I think this is what Jesus means by it here. Uh, b- blasphemy is, is when God says something is true and right, and you say, no, that's not so. Right? You follow what I'm saying? So what, what, what Jesus is saying here is, listen, you can, you can say, you know, you can blaspheme against me. You can say, oh, what Jesus is saying is not true and it's not right. That will be forgiven of you, but it won't be forgiven if you do that against the Holy Spirit. 
And I think the reason for that, let me show you. Now, again, y'all, I'm linking some things together that Luke doesn't necessarily link, link together, but I think this is a valid link. If you look over to the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking about the ministry uh, of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in John 14 is where we want to start. Let's see. Yeah, it, it, there's a lot of things in John that's that's very helpful to understand the background of what's going on, you know, in all of his um, all of his larger ministry. And one of the things that he begins with in John 14 is to say, "Listen, if you don't believe me, uh, well, look at look at 14:11, uh, John 14, um, 11. He says there, uh, "Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me." Or else believe on account of the works themselves. Right? So, so Jesus is saying, listen, if you don't believe me, just look at the works I'm doing. How can, you, how can I be anything other than what I claim to be here? Uh, then he um, goes on in 14, 15, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive uh, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him. For he dwells with you, but he will be in you, right? So, so Jesus is getting them ready for the um, coming of the Spirit. But then, um, if you look over, he says, uh, let's see, where, where, where was I going with that? Uh, no, not the Okay, so then he goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit's going to bring to remembrance everything that uh, I have given to you. Uh, then in 15, he has the true vine and the branches. Let's see. I've got a Bible that I would mark this up in. Where am I going? Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. Uh, if you look over to chapter 16, should turn over one more chapter. He, he goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit. And in 16.7, he, of course, is talking about his ascension here and, and the uh, coming of the Spirit after that. So John 16.7, he says, listen, I, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. Or the advocate. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now, look at, look at what he says here. He says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now here, what Jesus is talking about is the coming ministry of the Holy Spirit. That after he ascends in the Holy Spirit, he's, the Holy Spirit is going to have a ministry within Jesus' disciples. But he's also going to have a ministry to the world. And when the truth of the gospel is spoken in any context, I think what Jesus is getting at here is that the, the Holy Spirit uh, convicts people. And, and what he means by that word is, is that the Holy Spirit is telling them that they're wrong. Right. So the Holy Spirit is telling the world that they're wrong concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Right. And you all know this. The root of all sin in the scriptures is lack of faith. Right, Romans 14, whatever is not of faith is sin. Right? Adam and Eve did not sin just because they ate the fruit in the garden. They ate the fruit because they didn't believe God. Right? They didn't trust Him. The core of the action of their sin is lack of faith. Right? But it's even worse. Here Jesus says the core of sin is they didn't believe in me. Right? You see that? Um, all the time I get videos of people sending me all kind of things about, do you think this person is going to hell because they're doing this, that, and the other, you know? Um, I got a a video from a friend of mine the other day. It was a drag queen pastor, you know. Um, What do you think about this? Do you think this person's going to hell because of that? And I'm like, no, they're not going to hell because of that. They're going to hell because they have not given their trust to Jesus. Their confidence is not in Jesus. And so their actions just show that by what they're doing. And the Holy Spirit tells people that's what's actually going on, right? Uh, One of the things that we as believers don't have to do is tell people they're wrong. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does internally. 
to people, right? Then the Holy Spirit tells them they're wrong concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And that's an interesting statement, right? And what I think Jesus is saying, there, I think the implications of that is, if we want to see what righteousness actually looks like perfectly, who do we look to? Jesus. He's the only one that's ever done it 100% right 100% of the time, right? He never sins. He never offends the Father. He's always doing what's pleasing to the Father. That's the very definition of righteousness. He always does the right thing in the right way at the right time with the right motives. If you and I do two of those things in any action on one day, we're doing great, right? (laughs) Jesus does this all four, 100% of the time, right? But this is the thing. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Nobody on earth can go say, hey, look look at what Jesus is doing over there, right? Now we have to read about him. In the scriptures, right? He's not alive as a perfect example of righteousness. But what the Holy Spirit does is he comes to people and even when they try to redefine what's right and wrong, the Holy Spirit convicts them as being wrong, saying, no, you know that's not right. You know that's not right. Right? Uh, Yeah, Sue. There was one place that said in the book of the Holy Spirit is the council. Yes, yeah. It's almost like it's the Yeah, the word that's used here, and all your translations will have something different uh, for the word. The the word is parakletos in Greek. And and, well, let me tell you what that is, and then you'll see why there's so many different uh, uh, translations of it. Some people have counselor, some translations have witness, some have helper, some have comforter. But uh, a parakletos in Greek culture was when you went to trial, you really didn't have lawyers like we do today, right? If you were going to trial against somebody, uh, you, you would both come together and you would have witnesses. You would have two or three witnesses, right? And the witness that you would say for the very last is kind of like your ace in the hole, right? That's your witness that no matter what my opponent is going to say, when this witness speaks, that's going to be the end of the case. I'm going to win, because, and that's the word, the parakletos. Right. So the, the Holy Spirit is the final witness in Jesus ministry that gives witness to the fact that Jesus is who he claims to be. Right. Do you follow what I'm saying there? Now, think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute, because in the context of what Jesus is saying here, what Jesus is saying is that that when people hear the truth about me and even when they say I reject it and it's not true, the Holy Spirit Right. As it convicts the world, people who aren't Jesus disciples, the Holy Spirit is working on them to say, you know, that's not true. Right. Uh, One of the uh, and so he he does. He does work on the conscience on the inside. Right. Uh, In in Romans two, Paul says that on the day of judgment, um, it won't be the hearers of the law who are justified before God, but the doers of the law. And he said, there will be some that God raises up. And when he puts people on trial, uh, they're going to say, well, I didn't know or I didn't do this. And he says, but he's going to bring their conscience forth as witness. And the conscience is going to say, oh, no, we knew that was wrong, even when we did it. And the Holy Spirit is working that way, too. He, he works on the he works internally. Right. We preach the gospel. They hear it externally. But the Holy Spirit is working internally. Right. And so he's working on that. And then the last thing here, he says uh, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Right. In other words, the Holy Spirit is given the final witness and the final evidence that this world is passing away. All of you who are in league with the devil, (laughs) which is now. okay, y'all, I'm about to say something politically incorrect. All right. If you're not in league with Jesus, you are in league with the devil, whether you are aware of it or not. Whether or not you worship, everybody's all upset about Sunday night and the Grammys and the guy wearing the, I don't, I didn't see it. You know, wearing the devil suit and all that and all the satanic. But, but, but here's the thing. Everybody in that audience has been worshiping the devil for years. 90% of our country is worshiping the devil and they don't even know it. Right. Jesus says here, if you are not with me, you are against me. Right. And, and that's what we're about to get into here. And so the Holy Spirit comes and says, convicts the world to say, you know, you've given your allegiance to the wrong person, right? So this is what I think the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit is working internally in that place that we cannot deny, right? In the place of the conscience, in the place of, I know this is, I know this is right, but I'm going to do something else. 
when you speak against him, there's, there's no hope for you. Right? If, if you're not listening to that, that's working on the inside, then there's no voice that's ever going to convince you otherwise. Uh, Dallas Willard, in his book, um, in his book uh, Renovation of the Heart, he has a, he has a fantastic chapter called, um, oh gosh, I'm not going to remember. It's, I remember Ruined Soul, the, something about the ruined soul. But basically, it, the whole chapter is on, uh, if, if I could frame it very largely this way, what kind of person ends up in hell? That's what, and, and Willard has one of the most graphic, on-point descriptions of hell that I've ever read anywhere in that. It's just absolutely right on point. But as he's developing those things out, Willard talks about the fact that we as humans, our will uh, is, is, can get to a point where it is so seared and it is so uh, corrupted by sin that you can't even get to a point where you even want to believe in God anymore, right? And this is, this is the danger that Jesus is talking about. Okay, it's one thing if you reject my witness to the truth, but if you reject the Holy Spirit's witness to the truth, that's never going to be forgiven of you because there's no way to say, I didn't know, right? I, how, how was I supposed to know that? And the, God is going to say, because my Holy Spirit has been telling you so, right? And that's why when he created us as humans, he created that internal thing that we call the conscience, right? Right? Yeah, right? It's in his image because that's that place where the Holy Spirit can work in only the way that he wants to work. Uh, so many people that, I, that I've worked with, myself included, right? Talking to him about the sins that we struggle with. And going into depth, I've never, I very rarely have ever had to convince anybody that what they were doing was wrong. They knew it already, and they just need to be given the freedom and the ability to say it out loud. Right? And then a, a place where we can then work on it after that. You're right. Most people have been trained that, boy, if you bring that up in the church, they're going to cut me up and throw me out, and you're not going to have anything. But, right? Before people can even work on it, they've got to have a place where they can, a safe place. Where somebody can say, yeah, I know that you know it's wrong. I know that's wrong. Now, what are we going to do next? Now, now where are we going to go? But when you deny all those things, right? When you turn your back on those things, what else can the Father do? What other recourse is there? Right? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at. And, and we'll see this illustrated, that these people are going to reject Jesus, uh, even though the things that he says and does clearly, you know, points to the fact that he is who he claims to be. But even more than that, we're going to see that they're constantly kicking against the Holy Spirit. And really, this is going to continue from Luke on over into the book of Acts. Uh, all the way through, well, my, you know, my favorite example of this is um, uh, Saul before he comes, becomes Paul, right? Uh, I think we talked about this in the last uh, class before he had the ice and whatnot. If you remember, um, as Christianity is developing... And Peter and, and, and Paul, are out, uh, Peter and uh, John, are out preaching in the temple. And the Jewish leaders don't know what to do with them. And so the council gets together. What are we going to do with these guys? And, and maybe we should try to kill them all off. And Gamaliel gets up. And he says, now hang on a minute. And you all remember, Thutis rose up a couple of years ago. He had a bunch of followers following him. What happened? Came to nothing. That other guy came up a couple of years ago. Everybody excited, Right. Thousands follow him. What happened to him? Nothing happened. I think I mentioned this. Uh, scholars believe that in the time frame of Jesus, there was something like anywhere between 30 and 50 men that had come claiming to be the Messiah. Right? We think Jesus is in a vacuum. He's not. And that's who Gamaliel is talking about. He said, listen, we have these guys popping up, saying they're Messiah all the time, but, but what happens to their movement? It, nothing. It comes to nothing. And what Gamaliel is saying is, oh, this one's different. Right? This one didn't, boy, they're healing people. Have you heard what they're preaching out there? Right? So Gamaliel says, hey, listen, this, this, this is what I think we need to do. Let's just let these people alone. Leave them alone and see what happens. Because if, it's, if God is not in it, it's going to come to nothing. But if God is in it, we're going to find ourselves fighting against God. And then all the council is like, okay, that's, oh, whew, yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. Except, except one of Gamaliel's students named Saul... And Saul says, no, I'm going to kill every one of them. 
right? So he goes off and he starts bringing, you know, arresting them, taking them to prison, there witnessing their death and whatnot, until he's riding up to Damascus one afternoon, right? To take some, because the church is spread all the way from Jerusalem into Damascus. And as he's riding up, uh, <laughs> Jesus appears, right? Like the noonday sun knocks Paul off of his donkey and, right, scales on his eyes. And uh, as Jesus begins to talk to Saul, uh, you remember what he says, Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the goads? Right? Saul, son, I've been prodding you, right? Do you not listen to Gamaliel? Have you not listened to anything anybody said? Right? I've been prodding you along like you prod along cattle. And you won't listen to anything we're saying, right? So this is what I'm going to do. You're going to be blind until you figure out what's going on right here, right? And you remember Paul's blind for the three days? And he's like, oh, boy. And, 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 oh, yeah, by the way, when (laughs) my favorite... Uh, I just I would love to have been there in Paul's mind. He's knocked off whatever he's riding and he realizes somebody's appeared to him. And he says, uh, uh, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul says, Lord, who are you? Right. And the answer comes, I am Jesus. Right. I'm pretty sure Paul had to change his drawers after that. Right. Because now he's like, oh, my gosh, the guy I've been persecuting. He's the Lord. Right. So, but the point is, Jesus had been trying to get Saul's attention, push him in the right direction. And he was rejecting it. He was rejecting it reje- until Jesus shows up, right? So here, what, I'm pretty sure what Jesus is talking about is somebody who just continually rejects the witness, even of the Holy Spirit, in their conscience, as he works on them to say, no, these things are true. When you, when you blaspheme against that, when you say, no, this is not true, and you know internally that they are, well, there's no help for you. There's no recourse for that. There's nothing else that the Lord can do. And so that's what Jesus says. That's not going to be forgiven uh, of anybody uh, that they, you know, that, that actually does that. So, so again, people, you know, people that are worried about <laughs> committing the sin against uh, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, if you're worried about it, that hadn't happened because uh, there's something, something much more disastrous. And we're going to see that uh, illustrated as we go forward with the response of the um, scribes and the Pharisees and the way they respond to Jesus, even with evidence clearly to the contrary. And, and, we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll track that along as we go. Now, anybody, any questions or comments on that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Parakletas. Don't, uh, no, why are you going to ask me? No, you can tell me. Ask my wife. Uh, P-A-R-A. Yeah, K K L E T O S. Yeah, and usually has a line over the E. P A R A K L E T O S. Parakletas. Yeah. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. And 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 that's and uh, a lot of the words, a lot of the words for witness. Right, is somebody who comes alongside you to give witness to what you're doing. And you know, and it's that, that's also really interesting. Think about. Um, uh, y'all know where this is going. Uh, Jesus is a witness to the Father. The Holy Spirit is a witness to Jesus. The disciples are a witness to Jesus. and the re- So this word witness shows up in Luke and Acts all over the place. Really, really important idea. And of course, that's somebody that comes alongside you and says, hey, yeah, what they're saying is true. You know, um, really powerful. Anybody else? Any questions or, or comments on that? All right. Uh, verse 13 uh, 1213, you got the parable of the rich fool. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna, uh, I'm not gonna read through this whole thing. I just want you to see the point of it. Uh, 11, 1213, uh, Jesus says, Now, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he tells the parable about a, a guy who was uh, very successful, had a big crop come in, and he builds all kind of store barns and uh, builds up his wealth and, uh, you know, add more and more and more. But then in verse 20, God says to him, you fool this night, your soul will be required of you. And the things uh, you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Right. So, uh, you know, Jesus is making the point here that's going to be amplified later. You can't let your life get wrapped around the axles of money and what you have. That, that's a snare in and of itself. Uh, Paul himself later, you know, one of the most 
famous statements of that. Um, uh, to, to, to saying to Timothy, and almost it's ninety uh, percent of the time when I hear people quote this, they quote it wrong. Uh, Paul says to Timothy, "The love of money is the root of all sorts of evils." Right? Not money, the love of money. Right? The, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils, and that's what Jesus is talking about here, because this guy wants Jesus, you know, to. Get the inheritance worked up for him. What? I'm not here to do that. But I can tell you this. Your soul's in trouble. Right? Because you love money too much. You, you love what you got. So take heed. Um, and, and also, you know, there's the, there's the subtle implication that instead of using all of his grain and his crops, hoarding them for himself, he should have been using that to help other people. That's the other thing that we're going to see show up in here. Um, and that kind of ties into the next section. We're, we're going to read through this section. Now, notice... Probably starting verse 22, it's almost completely red, right? We're into uh, uh, portions from um, different sermons. And this is going to be one of those places where we see uh, parts that are in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. They actually show up here. Uh, You remember, we've already seen part of this sermon uh, in the Sermon on the Plain when we looked at that back in chapter 6. This is some of the stuff that's in Matthew's Sermon on the Mount, but Luke has waited to include it here because um, I think because of Jesus just mentioning covetousness and those type of things. And so he, he, he gets into this issue of uh, anxiety and worrying about what you're going to eat and those kind of things. So let, let's just read through that. Not a lot difficult to, to understand here. Uh, some really, boy, this is... This is some of Jesus' most comforting teaching. Uh, Verse 22, he said to his disciples, Listen, I I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. In the parable earlier, he had talked about the guy's storehouses and his barns, right? Storing up all of his grain and wealth. Uh, of how much more value are you than the birds? Um, back twelve seven, even the hairs of your head are numbered. You are of more value than many sparrows. See that? And now we talk about he talks again about us being uh, more valuable than birds. Verse twenty five. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Ooh. Man, this really hits me. I come from a family of genetic warriors. It's just been passed down from father to son. I don't know how many generations going back. Um, Worried about everything. Oh, man, how are we going to do this? How are we going to do that? Jesus says, don't. Listen, your your father knows what's going on. And are you going to add any length to your life by being worried? I mean, come on. Verse 26. uh, If then you were not able to do a a small thing as that... Uh, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Uh, think about what Jesus is saying here. Uh, years ago, I heard Ronnie Stevens say, uh, and I thought this was a great insight. He said that uh, the Bible has not been given to us il- to illuminate nature Nature has been given to illuminate the scriptures, right? That creation has been given to illuminate the scriptures. And that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, If you think about the way the birds live their life, if you think about the way uh, the flowers grow, what do they illustrate for us? They they illustrate the Lord's care and mercy and his grace, right? They grow. uh, So if he's taking care of these birds and flowers, how much more, right? Um. Verse 28, but if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? You have little faith. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you're to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, here's the critical thing. Here's the catch. Instead, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Right? Instead, seek these things and uh, seek, seek the kingdom and then all these things will be added to you. Uh, there is a, uh, I mentioned this in another class, there is a, there is a sermon that Larry Crabb gave at Dallas 
Theological Seminary. It's, it, you can look it up. You can look up Larry Crabb, Chess Players and Poets. It's a 30-minute sermon, and it, is, it, it would go on my very short list of perfect sermons. Absolutely perfect. And th- this was after Larry Crabb made his big turnaround. You know, Larry Crabb had been in psychology and had written a lot of psychology books. And then he had this epiphany moment where he realized, wait a minute, everything we're doing psychologically is what the church should be doing. And if the church was doing what it ought to be doing, people wouldn't have the problems they have. So we got to get back around and do what we're supposed to do as disciples of Jesus. Healing and preaching and, you know, loving. And so Anyway, incredible thing. But, but in this sermon... Uh, it was one that Crabb put together on the fly based on a question that he had had the night before. And the question was, uh, how do you cope with, you know, being in ministry when you just feel like the rug's been pulled out from underneath you, you're depressed, you know, all these things that are going on. And, and Crabb gives these seven questions and answers in that sermon. They're absolutely awesome. And, you know, the, the, the questions are, you know, what is Father God doing in your life? What is the Son doing in your life? What is the Holy Spirit doing in your life? And the thing I remember most about that sermon is that when he got to the Holy Spirit, he said that the Holy Spirit is working in our lives to detach us from every source of joy other than the joy of being included in the Father-Son relationship. Now think about that. The Holy Spirit is working to detach us from every source of joy other than the primary joy of being included in the father-son relationship that Jesus enjoys with the father, right? And as he was saying that, I was thinking about these words here where Jesus says, if you seek the kingdom, all these things will be given to you. Well, if you think about it, somebody that has placed their hope in money, if they're going to get to the point where their hope is focused on the kingdom, what's God going to have to do? He's going to take all the money away, Right? Anything that we get wrapped around the axles with that we think is going to be a source of hope and joy that's not Jesus and the kingdom, the Lord has to take those things away, right, to, 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 to wake us up. I had a long story short, I had a Muslim student uh, at, at Crichton, back when I was teaching at Crichton College, and he had the highest GPA of any student I ever had at that, at that school. And I've, I've told part of this story before. Uh, he came up to me after the last night of class, and we talked about the gospel and uh, uh, different aspects, and, and, and he said two things to me that night. He said, uh, he said, let me make sure I get this right. He went through the gospel with me, everything he had learned. Uh, he said, uh, do you believe that what you're telling me is true? I said, yes, it's absolutely true. He said, I believe it's true too, but I cannot and I will not accept it. I believe it's true, but I cannot and I will not accept it. the exact words he used. And I said, brother, I, I think I know the answer to this already, but but why can you not believe and accept it? He said, because if I do, I lose everything. My father will disown me. I lose money. I lose privilege. And by the way, I asked him early on, I figured out he was Muslim student, you know, in class. I said, why in the world are you in a Bible college in Memphis, Tennessee? And his dad was a, like a, something diplomatic in the government. And he said, my dad, he said, my dad told me, I'm going to be working with Americans for the rest of my life. And if I'm going to know Americans well, I need to understand what Christianity is because Americans are Christians. And I said, brother, I don't mean to, I don't mean to say anything bad about your dad, but that's a bad piece of advice, man. That is, as, that is as far from wrong as you could possibly get. You know? So anyway, he, he and I talked a lot. So, but when he, so he told me, I'll lose everything. And last thing I said to him, I said, well, brother, let me, I'm going to make you a promise. And you're probably going to hate me for saying this. I'm going to say, I said, from now until I see you again, wherever that is, in the kingdom or not, I'm going to be praying that the Lord will take all those things away from you anyway, so you have no barrier to believe in what is true. And he said, that's fair. That's fair. That's one of the last things I said to him. I really hope when I get to the kingdom, I'll see that guy there. You know, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him, you know. But, uh, but I, and I remember that, I remember a lot of y'all had the same way. When, when he told me, when he said, I believe what you're telling me is true, but I cannot and will not accept it. My immediate thought was, seminary, I want some of my money back. That's not how this is supposed to work, right? If you can get somebody to believe that things are true, well, then you've done what you're supposed to be doing, right? I, I, I never thought about, wait a minute. 
You're saying it's true, but no, I can't. And then, you know, later you're reading through John, you're reading Luke. This is exactly what happens in Luke. We're going to find out that some of the Pharisees believed that he was the Messiah, but they would not confess it publicly because they were going to get kicked out of the synagogue. Right. So so here, Jesus, you know, uh, Jesus is saying, instead, seek, seek the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And we're going to find out that, right, we have to let go of all these things that keep us entangled. Right. We can't let riches, dis, you know, distract us from that. The clothing that we have, all those things are hard. Right. And then, and then he goes on. Let's finish this out. Verse 32. He says, fear not, little flock. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now look at the, you need to underline that. Fear not, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that did not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth can destroy. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Woo! Right? Listen, we can't get hung up in the things of the world, food, money. If you got them, give them away. Uh, there's a, uh, if you remember, when we, uh, those of you that did the wisdom books with me, uh, last year at the end of Ecclesiastes, which is one of the hardest books in the whole Bible, right? When we went through that book and uh, at the end of the book, there's this really uh, bizarre statement where, um, where Solomon says, uh, cast your bread on the waters, right? Throw your bread on the waters because you don't know how it's going to come back to you and how it might return. And what Solomon was saying is, is that we need to be overly generous, generous, if we have stuff, we need to be willing to give that stuff away in order to help others, right? That's the way of the kingdom. That's the way the kingdom works. Everybody giving away what they have so that others can, uh, can, can profit and can grow from it. And, you know, and it's really interesting. We're, we're going to have an episode in Acts. If you, y'all will remember this. We're going to have an episode in Acts where the church takes this very literally. And they sell everything that they have. And they distribute everything amongst themselves. Right. But there was only one problem in the way they did it. They then became the poor in Jerusalem that all the other churches had to help. Right. Carry along. So there's also another part of this that Jesus is going to get to. Yeah, do this, but you got to do it with wisdom. Right. You, you got to do it in a way that's pursuing the kingdom. Right. And so we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that when we get over to those passages. But here, uh, you know, this this extravagant generosity is something that's absolutely critical for the kingdom and to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, Paul, in, uh, in one of the Corinthian letters, uh, one of my favorite statements, he, Paul is making a collection. This is odd. This all, I didn't put this together in my head until just now. Paul is making a collection for the Jerusalem saints that are now poor because they sold everything. And so, you know, everywhere he went, he would take collection to try to help them out. And so he's, you know, he's raising money in, uh, amongst the Corinthians to uh, send back to them. And as he's, you know, pleading with them and, uh, well, not, yeah, kind of pleading, but you know, he's making a theological case for, this is a good thing for you to do. And uh, in the middle of that boy, he really gives them a sucker punch. And he says, oh yeah, and as you're thinking about this, just remember the Lord Jesus, who although he was rich, became poor for your sake, so that we might be blessed in him. Right? He becomes the ultimate example of this, right? Jesus practices what he preaches, you know? I, and again, you, you, you think of him, where he is in his earthly ministry, as he said earlier, I don't have a place to lay my head. I'm wondering, I don't have a home to go home to, right? Uh, everybody's turned against me. You think about everything that he gave up to become part of that. It's just staggering when you think about it, you know? All right, y'all, we'll pick up right there in 1235 next week and move on. Y'all read through the rest of chapter 12 and uh, chapter 13. Uh, We'll probably get a little bit into chapter 14 as well uh, because there's there's, uh, some big sections in there that we can summarize a little bit. But we'll pick up right there in 1235 next week. And I'm going to write that down right now before I forget about it. Uh, We'll pick up right there and we'll move on forward. Let me go ahead and pray for us. And we will turn loose. And I look forward to seeing everybody next week. Father, we thank you for your word. And we, we thank you for um, the fact that you have preserved these things for us over these thousands of years. 
that uh, even today as we read it in English, we can uh, hear it and comprehend it. And with the help of your spirit, we can apply it to our lives. And uh, you are constantly working on us in all the ways that we cannot work on ourselves to make us people who not only hear and understand the word, but who want to do the things that you have given for us to do. And so, Father, I pray that we can uh, do these things that Jesus has given us here. And these are so comforting to know that we are we are so valuable to you, valuable uh, more so than anything else in the creation. And because of that, you provide for us and you give us what we need uh, as we need it. But at the same time, you won't allow us to be distracted by things that keep us uh, from focusing on you and your goodness and our Lord Jesus. And so we thank you for all of this and uh, pray that you'll help us in all the ways that we need help. For Jesus' great name's sake, amen.